Old insurance kind of sucks. Benefits are broken. More and more, consumers are buying insurance on their phone. So if something happens, we pay super fast. Between confusing booklets, outdated portals, and lost wallet cards, it can be a nightmare. When you pay us, we take a small flat fee. The rest goes to covering your stuff. On-demand all digital insurance is the future, whether you're ready for it or not. Slice. League. Lemonade. These are just three of the new companies starting to shake up the traditional insurance industry. This is an industry that most people don't think a lot about. They know they need to pay for insurance, they know generally what they get, but they don't give it much thought beyond that. A few months ago I was judging a business competition, and one of the companies presenting was an insurance business. It was all about on-demand, on-again, off-again insurance for people who are traveling, and it got me thinking very differently about insurance and how it's been provided in the past. I'm Sean Stanley, head of the Globe Content Studio at the Globe and Mail. Today, we explore the business of insurance and how it's evolving into a much more personalized digital service. This, this is, is, is Industry Interrupted. Industry Interrupted. Thank you to Fidelity Investments, the sponsor of this episode. We live in a time of accelerating innovation. New technology is transforming our world and the investment landscape. Ask your financial advisor about Fidelity Investments or visit fidelityinnovators.ca. What started over 200 years ago as a way to protect your home against fire damage has evolved into a multi-billion dollar industry. We all need insurance and many different types of it, but lots of Canadians resent the premiums they pay for inflexible policies that often don't meet their needs. That tension is changing the model that shaped the insurance industry for generations, and it's inspiring new players to get into the game with groundbreaking solutions. Serial entrepreneur Mike Serbinas is one of them. His new company, League, provides digital health benefits with the aim of offering more personal coverage to each employee. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So as a serial entrepreneur, you've been in a variety of different industries. So why did you decide to get into the health benefits business? I'll be honest. Uh, my childhood dream was not to get into the insurance business. Uh, this was really about transforming healthcare based on my experience as a consumer, trying to access it here in Canada or in California. It was both inconvenient and antiquated, and I thought that needed to change. So what were the things that you found most irritating? Like there must have been a couple of things that really pushed you into where you are. Getting an appointment anywhere, knowing where to go. There's no operator's manual for that. And it seems like it is rooted in this fax machine era uh, where no one responds. And to me, that was, that was maddening and it just needed to change. And is that your MO as an entrepreneur generally? Like it's the things that frustrate you that push you into this new territory? Totally. I grew up in an immigrant household uh, in Hamilton. My parents were from Greece. I was born here, first kid in the family to, to grow up here, uh, to go to school here, college here. And uh, I kind of came from this background of that doesn't make sense. Uh, how, do we, how do we understand that? How do we make that better? And if you look at all my companies, they're not all in insurance or in healthcare. They're across different industries. But the common thread is Take something that consumers find painful, make it better. So what did you do at the beginning, like in the near term? Did you talk to friends or family or did you do any kind of market research to see whether the pain points you were experiencing were also being experienced by others? Market research sounds like something a 
guy that went to business school would do. Uh, the engineering physics guy uh, didn't do market research. I was in a children's hospital in LA and I heard about the future of medicine and it compelled me to ask some questions to this entrepreneur who said, that sounds interesting. Maybe someone like you from outside the industry will come in and fix it. And really that was enough for me to take the first step and get started. Okay, so after that first step, how did you actually go about setting up this completely new type of health benefits company? So it was about four years ago, and we set up shop in the Mars building here in Toronto, which is a huge urban innovation center, which was started by Dr. Evans, all about really reinventing health and healthcare. And so I just started talking to people in the Mars building. So who is Dr. Evans? Can you just give us a bit of background on him? Yeah, he was uh, someone that had this vision that all these universities and all these hospitals that we have within a couple kilometer radius of college and university in Toronto should probably pool together their R&D resources into one place and get some economies of scale and, you know, invent some cool new stuff. So what was it about the Mars environment that enabled you to start scaling the business quicker, say, than you would have been able to do on your own? Mars is a place where a lot of people in tech today, but at the time it was mostly health and health tech, get together for conferences, for meetings. Investors would show up at the Starbucks there, and uh, it was just a place to get really connected to that world really quickly. So you've talked about being either the elephant or the fly. Can you tell us what that means exactly and how it pertains to the company? Yeah, there's this point in every tech company's evolution where I think they need to decide. There's a fork in the road, so to speak, where you decide you're going to be a tools provider to the big incumbents of whatever industry you're in, or you're going to become a new version of one of those incumbents. So either the elephant or the fly. And uh, we had that same fork in the road, and we decided to become the elephant. Explain to me how League is different from other health benefit providers. So today, think of us as a completely digital end-to-end benefits experience from the time you as an employee, because we, we sell through companies. So from the time you as an employee start your work and get your benefits package, that used to be a binder or a folio or a bunch of paper, but now it's a link and an email and you click on that link, you go through a completely personalized, flexible enrollment and out the other end you get the league app with a digital wallet in it and that wallet has services and benefits that are completely personalized to uh, your needs and your objectives and what you want to accomplish so this is a b2b product b2b you're selling directly to these employers correct and how many would you have signed up to this point hundreds but the last several dozen let's say are very different from when we started so it was about two years ago now where we had this idea that we're going to be the elephant, let's go get some uh, serious investment money, let's go get a partnership because we're probably not going to figure it all out in day one, so let's find someone, an existing insurance company that will be our underwriter, and let's start selling. And we sold to really small businesses, 10 employees, 5 employees, 15 employees, whereas today some of them, like KPMG, would be thousands of employees. Uh, Some of our new investors who we hope to bring on the platform soon, uh, 100,000 plus employees. So 
We're playing in a much larger end of the market today. So is it safe to say that your sign-up rate is accelerating as yeah, you move along? It's exponential. And uh, I mean, that's obviously the kind of curve, uh, the hockey stick that you want uh, as a tech entrepreneur. And we've been on a doubling every three to four months, three to five months. Was there an aha moment for you where maybe you had had some trouble onboarding some of those smaller businesses in the early stages, but then you kind of figured something out that really got people interested more so than they were before? I would say for us, it was less a aha, eureka, pivot moment versus uh, a constant you know, relentless pursuit of viability and, you know, just being around to survive the next week and next month. And, you know, we learned that the value proposition resonated far more with larger, more complex employers that were in more competitive markets that had big costs and, you know, big risks if they didn't figure out what the modern workforce needed to look like and what that experience for uh, their benefits needed to look like. Because of their size, did you have a hard time selling them in the near term? Totally. Or, yeah. They would look at us and they would say, okay, this guy knows something about tech, but he probably knows nothing about benefits or insurance. Uh, and, you know, they've got a couple of cute customers that are, you know, three people or five people big. Why would we ever, you know, trust this individual or this company with our, our jobs and our entire base of thousands of employees? We'll be right back after a message from our sponsor. This podcast was made possible through the support of Fidelity Investments. For decades, they've been giving their clients a world of innovation by investing in companies that invent the future. Ask your financial advisor about Fidelity Investments or visit fidelityinnovators.ca. So this is clearly attractive to employees and not just the employers. How did you convince the companies to get on board by convincing them that it wasn't just for them, but it was for the employees as well. Yeah. So the employees was actually the easy part, because if you remember where we started, it was all about empowering people with their health every day. It was very much about consumers day one. And so having this slick Uber-like experience to find health providers, book appointments and pay digitally, we had that from the beginning. And we just added to that. So that one was almost like a done deal. But selling to the employer was different. It meant understanding the HR leader and the CFO and their needs beyond the fact that insurance gets more expensive every year and nobody really loves the experience, understanding the pain a bit more, the administration of it, and how that's really pull your hair out complex and frustrating, and we could do that better and automate it and save money. What kind of feedback are you getting from employers? What is it that they like more about your platform than what they've used in the past? So traditional benefits get more expensive every year. Depending on where you are and size of company, it can be anywhere from 5 to 15% year-over-year growth, which is incredible. Yet nobody loves the experience. Industry average net promoter score as a measure of satisfaction is about 8 which is lower than what prisoners feel about prisons in America. And, uh, and when you look kind of beneath the hood or under the hood, you find usage is next to nothing. Like nobody uses these benefits. Traditional benefits are not what millennials and the modern workforce want. They don't want what their parents had. They want something vastly different. So it was providing that kind of an experience to employers and their employees that really, you know, really made things click. 
If that's the case, how has the insurance industry reacted to your model? In every category, you tend to find the incumbent that thinks, wow, these guys are cool. They're the future. Why can't we do that? Let's partner with them. And on the other end of the spectrum, you find the guys that say, these guys don't know what they're doing. They're an embarrassment. You know, so they ridicule. What's that Gandhi quote, right? They First they ignore you, then they ridicule you. Uh, then you, they fight you and then you win. Um, so there's a spectrum. And we started to get partners that thought, oh, this might be a new channel and maybe a new product we could learn from. But we were offering very little small, you know, small new business for them. Fast forward to today and we've kind of laddered up. We didn't get there overnight. Well, now we're, for some of our customers or some of our uh, insurance carrier partners, we're the biggest source of new business for them which is remarkable because we've only been doing this insurance part for the last two years. So an overnight success in some ways, but in other ways, it's been, uh, it's been a long slog to build the infrastructure to be successful in this market. Would you say you've done things that some of those insurance carriers should have done themselves before you came along? This may sound trite, uh, but the idea of just listening to the end consumer, I mean, that's where we started because we didn't know any better. We didn't have a broker network of 10,000 brokers that talk to employers who make these decisions on the behalf of employees. So we just talk to people, our friends, uh, friends at tech companies, our neighbors, our parents, our cousins. And uh, we learned, hey, this is something that gets more expensive. We get less or at least not what we want, you know, our parents' benefits. Uh, and we all hate the experience. So it's that old uh, old adage of you should just get out there and talk to customers. And that's something that we did and we continue to do. And it, our NPS scores speak to you know how successful we've been. And what is an NPS score? Oh, it's just a measure of uh, whether people recommend you or not. Net promoter score is, uh, I think it's the people that recommend you and say, yeah, try league versus the people minus the people that say nothing or don't try league. And uh, divided by you know the denominator, and you know Apple or Amazon and what they do would be in the 70s or 80s. Traditional insurance and benefits would be around eight to ten. Uh, league is in the mid 70s. So the traditional scores are not particularly good. Not great. Not great. How has the industry changed since you guys launched, or has it even changed? So what always happens is people kind of ignore it in the beginning, and then they start to pay a bit more attention if you're successful later. Uh, and if you start to win business or achieve milestones that are meaningful, that would come up in one of their board meetings. And then what almost always happens is they start to accelerate things that were on the slow burn traditionally or, or before you arrived, right? Invest more in technology. You've probably heard even the last two years uh, there's been – major uh, insurance carriers that have announced layoffs, and instead they've said they're going to invest in technology and they're going to get more close to the consumer. So that's a great example of a reaction to uh, to League and other players in the market like us. Do you think they were slow to take up these initiatives, not just because they weren't listening to their customers, but because they resisted change? I think inertia is super comfortable, uh, especially when you're in an oligopoly. And in our country here, among many sectors are oligopolies. And um, you always look at the new thing and you say, well, geez, even if we nailed that, 
what's it worth to our next quarter or the next three quarters, right? When we're a publicly run, uh, publicly traded company, we think about the next few quarters. Five years from now, not a lot of people think in the long term. So I think it's more that, that, um, you know, they, they didn't see how this would help them in the short run. And it's hard to believe when you're on top in an oligopoly that someone could come out of nowhere and, you know, make things uncomfortable for you. Who are your partners in all of this outside of your own company? Who are you working in tandem with? Is it some of those established partners or the, some of those established companies? For sure. So we had in our, um, on our Series A round, that investment round when we decided we wanted to be the elephant, not the fly, uh, companies like RBC uh, that came in as investors but also as partners, uh, companies like Power Financial, uh, which now is a venture arm called Portage, um, and they, of course, own Great West Life. Uh, they came in as investors, as did Manulife at the time. So we work with all three of those today. And in our most recent round, uh, we added other uh, both financial investors as well as strategic investors like Loblaw that owns uh, Shoppers Drug Mart. And, of course, that's the biggest distributor of uh, drugs or pharmaceuticals in the country, uh, TELUS, which has the biggest healthcare IT and payment network uh, that pays healthcare providers in the country. So some strategic assets to continue to build out our experience. If you were to gaze into your crystal ball or take a look into my crystal ball, what would you see as the future of insurance coverage in Canada? So when we started the business, the idea was the future of healthcare, I think this applies to health insurance, is going to be personalized, preventative, digital, and always on. And if you kind of parlay that into what you know we think of the business today, uh, what that inevitably leads you to is a business that's really about data. And unlike these insurance companies in the last you know hundred years, where data was purely about claims that happen once in a while. Uh, I think you're going to see an explosion in the amount of data uh, that these companies have about us and how that data gets used to help us make better decisions. So around prevention, right? a lot of healthcare costs today are totally avoidable based on you know chronic disease, not anything we're born with. And I think with uh, you know real focus on data and that end consumer, you have fundamentally different experiences for the end customer. Does that mean that we're going to see some changes in the medical industry potentially as a result of those changes in the insurance industry? Completely. I think you can see already uh, that with the advent of uh, different medical imaging technologies and AI that we'll see, frankly, fewer radiologists and um, we'll see software doing a better job than what historically was very much human-driven or um, driven by a, a process or an instrument that was decades old. So we'll see a lot of sectors in healthcare and medicine that become more data-centric and where that data increasingly, uh, you know, we read all the time about cyber attacks, that data increasingly needs to be something that we all care about and the rules and regulations on how that data moves and who can get it are things that we're going to care a lot more about. Do you see other businesses that are kind of up-and-comers in the insurance industry outside of your own that are doing some interesting things where we might want to look for some changes coming down the pipeline? 
So, so far, what we've done uh, is really all about that end experience and then empowering employers. Um, we work with insurance carriers as our partners, as underwriters um, in the U.S. in particular. You know, we rely on their extended health and uh, medical networks. What we have not done is we have not gone after the underlying instrument. And, you know, it's not our plan to do so, uh, certainly anytime soon. However, there's new approaches based on the blockchain, the distributed ledger, and, you know, Ether or purpose-built tokens that can create effectively synthetic insurance products uh, that get distributed among, you know, a massive base around the world that I think are going to give insurance carriers a run for their money. Mike Serbinus is founder and CEO of League, a new digital health benefits company based in Toronto. As someone who's had a benefits plan for many years, I've rarely given much thought to the things that are available to me, to the services that are provided. I'm now going to be thinking much differently about how I have insurance delivered to me and my family. On the next episode of Industry Interrupted, we get up close and personal with the wellness industry and find out how new treatments are tailored to meet the specific needs of your body and habits. There are trillions of bacteria in your body, many of those actually in your gut. And what many people don't know is that these bacteria play fundamental role in lots of different functions in your body, your immune function, your metabolism, your digestion, and even your mood on a day-to-day basis. Thank you to Fidelity Investments, the sponsor of this episode. Industry Interrupted is produced by Laura Regeer, Anne Lang, Guy Dixon, and Stephanie Chan. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Get in touch with us at podcasts at globeandmail.com. I'm Sean Stanley.